Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, the gospel lesson for the fourth Sunday of Easter is from John chapter 16. Uh, However, as I mentioned before, what Jesus says in this text actually comes before his death and resurrection and not after it. And so it may seem weird that during this Easter season, we're focusing on what happened before his death and resurrection instead of focusing on what he did after his resurrection. Now, uh, but this is all for good reason, because in order to truly appreciate the resurrection of Jesus, you need to understand what life would be like without that resurrection. And that's what's going on in this text. To better thank Jesus for what he did, you have to imagine what life would be like if he didn't do what he did. And that's what this text does and shows. So in John chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples before they see him die. And he's preparing them for uh, the most excruciating pain that any sinful human could experience. Any Christian could experience. He prepares them for one specific moment, one exact moment. The moment that they're going to see his body lifeless as a corpse on the cross. He's preparing them for that, that visual, what they're about to see. That they're about to lose everything when they see that. Now, in order to, to, to explain this, how heavy of uh, a, a visual this was to the disciples, I'll preface it by making this first point, that it is much harder to lose something than to have never had it to begin with. I know you've probably heard the cliche that says the opposite, but I'm saying that it's harder to lose something, to have it and then lost it than to have never had it. Uh, so think about it. Why do you think so many rich and wealthy people end their own lives when they lose their money and fame? You could say to them, look, you have a lot of debt and are struggling to make ends meet, but guess what? There are millions of people in the world who have just as little as you do right now and they're still alive and they haven't ended their life. They're managing, they're doing well and they count each day as a blessing, they're happy. So what's the difference? Well, for those living in poverty, that is the only life they've ever known. But for those, they don't know what it's like to have luxury and soft clothing and good food all of the time and beautiful scenery. But the rich do. And so when they lose it, they can't bear going back to that. They can't, it's very difficult to go back. And so for many of them, sadly, they would rather die than live in poverty. It's harder to lose wealth than it is to live never having had it. And this goes for a lot. I don't want to take away or diminish the pain that a couple feels when they cannot have a child, they cannot conceive a child. And as great as that pain is, it is still significantly more difficult to have a child and lose that child than to have never had the child to begin with. I know this, I've been on both sides of it, thinking that we couldn't have a child. And then having a child, and then losing that child. Uh, And and it is significantly more difficult. Uh, It is more difficult to lose a spouse than to have never been married. It's more difficult to lose meaning to life than to have never had any meaning to life 
to begin with. And that is because we grow attached to the thing and we learn to love it. We learn to live in that way. So our life dramatically changes when we get the thing, when we have the thing. Okay, so if we fear, feel terrible and awful and sorrow and anguish when we have things and people and then lose them. Now just imagine what those disciples must have felt when they lost Jesus. They saw Jesus spit upon and on the cross. Now, certainly they experienced some sort of pain and sorrow at seeing somebody die and treated so harshly. That's traumatizing. And anyone would be horrified at that. But when they saw Jesus die, in their minds, they lost much more than a person or a friend or a teacher or a leader. When they saw Jesus die, when they saw him beaten and whipped and mocked and spit upon his face and nailed to a cross and a spear shoved into his ribs, they didn't just see Jesus die. They saw the gospel die. That's what's going in their heads. The gospel itself, the good news of the forgiveness of sins, that died right before their face. Everything Jesus said and did up to that point was vanished. It was, it was meaningless. It was gone. So I, I have to make another distinction here. Look, we've seen people fall away from the faith time and time again. People believe and then they fall into despair and they stop believing. Uh, and from what some of you have told me, that moment when, you, when some of you have fallen away and not believed in a time, you, have said, you yourself have said that that was the worst time of your life. Those were some of the, wor- the, the worst things going on through your, through your mind. Now, that is the closest thing I could come up with as an analogy for what the disciples are going through. But again, it's not the same. It's a very different thing to not want to believe in something versus wanting to believe in it and then the thing not being true. That's what they're, they're seeing. So, so I'll explain it this way. It's the difference between the pain of losing a child that you love and want in your home and in your life versus losing a child that you don't love or want in your life that you didn't want in your home to begin with. If you reject and neglect your child, then you're not going to be in pain when they're gone. However, if you do love and want your child and that child is taken away from you, then that pain is indescribable. It's the same thing happening, but the affection towards the one changes it. Okay, that is like the difference between those who reject the gospel, who just become too busy to hear it, versus the pain of having the gospel that you love and cherish and then having it taken away from it, ripped out of your heart. And the latter thing, is what the disciples experience. When they see Jesus die in their minds, the gospel dies. They loved and they wanted to believe in the gospel. They wanted that eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, but then they see their Lord die. Now, you see this in in Luke chapter 24. Jesus appears to uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This happens after Jesus died. The disciples don't recognize Jesus And so he sees them during this intermediary state between having seen Jesus die and not knowing he resurrected. The disciples don't recognize him. And then this is what they said. They said said this to Jesus. They said, our chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus up to the sentence of death and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Now you hear the words, we had hoped, which is to say we've now lost our hope and we have no hope. And their hope was nothing other than Psalm, what Psalm 130 says, that, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord and what he will redeem Israel from their iniquity. That their hope was in the forgiveness of sins. They wanted that to be true. It was such good news. It was a joyful thing that heaven was promised to them, not by their works, but by by Christ. And then they lost that hope. Now, being in that state of mind, that specific state of mind to to say, I I had hoped and then I've lost it, uh, where you think you've lost the love of God and the forgiveness of sins, that state is genuinely the most terrifying and most excruciating state to be in in this life. Uh, Our dear brother Martin Luther experienced this, uh, and he saw others suffer this. And he saw how people were taught that they needed to work for, for and earn their own salvation. And when people were taught this, there were poor mothers and fathers who would be so absolutely terrified that they would just fall into despair and they thought, look, I can't make God happy. This is horrible. This is the worst existence imaginable that I'm going to live through this difficult life. And then at the very end, when I breathe my last, things are about to get infinitely worse. I'm going to hell because I cannot be perfect. That's what's going through their minds. I can't. So so they had this perpetual knot in their stomach with a fear, a looming fear that they're just going to die and go to hell because they cannot possibly please God. And so Luther says that he saw many people end their own life because they would rather just go to hell rather than live with the fear of going to hell and then end up going there. But we might as well get it over with. If that's where I'm going to go anywhere, then anyway, then I might as well go now. That's what happened. Now, that was the state of mind that they were in. This is gut-wrenching, and that is life without the gospel. And this is why the false doctrine that good works contribute and cause your salvation is the most harmful thing imaginable. It, it, it absolutely is. It 100% is. You might say, look, there are plenty of people I know that believe this, that, have, that are still walking around to this day. They're, they're alive. They're fine. But to put it simply, they're, they're completely naive. They're entirely ignorant of the truth because the only way someone can survive that works righteousness, this idea that you can please God and work your way into heaven, is to deceive yourself into thinking that you are not sinful or that you are then indeed perfect and can earn your way. And the only way to do that is to reject what the Bible actually says about you, which is when when it says that you are a sinner, that you're full of sin. That is the only way you can manage is by deceiving yourself. Now, if you're honest with yourself, though, and you truly believe what the Bible says, and you understand that you must be perfect without spot or blemish, to even look at the kingdom of God, then you will not be able to bear it. 
Well, again, that is the, 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 the state that the disciples were in. They thought when they saw Jesus die, they heard all this good news and it turned out to be false. It turned out to be a sham. And now guess what? The thing that they were in before, this idea that they had to save themselves is what they were back in. They were back in their own sins that everything turned out to be false. Now, Jesus knew all of this before it happened. And so this is why Jesus says a little while. And he says a little while. He's not talking about their life or anything He's talking about the specific three days, the 72 hours that he is going to be lifeless, uh, being arrested and lifeless in the tomb. And so this little while in this text is not something that we all experience. The little while he's talking about is not something that you ever endured. Um, Even more, Jesus says a little while seven times in the text. He repeats it seven times over and over again. And I think the reason he does that is because he wants to bolster down in their minds that the pain of despair that they're about to experience is temporary. Uh, We look back and we say, look, that's only three days. That, I mean, that's a, that's not a big deal. It was only three days of, of that. But you guys know how pain and suffering works, right? That when you are in anguish, even if it's only for an hour, it feels like an eternity, right? It feels like it's never going to end. And these disciples were in it for 72 hours. I can't imagine what in the world crossed their mind at that point, at the, that point at, in those moments. And without a doubt, those were the longest three days of their life. Now, Jesus encourages them, and then he tells them to hold on and to not despair. That's what this text is about. He says, it's going to happen. You're you're about to face some of the greatest sorrow that any human being has seen. Just hold on. It is just a little while. Don't give up. Don't, Don't despair in that time. And then he says, a little while, and you will not see me. Just in a few moments, they're going to arrest me, and you're going to see your hope drained from your heart. And then again, a little while after those three days, and then you will see me, which is to say, I'm going to die and then I'm going to resurrect. And then he says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. And then he says this, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And listen carefully. This is, this is the point. He doesn't say your sorrow will be replaced with joy. He says that it will turn into joy. The thing that caused your sorrow is the thing that will cause you joy. It will be converted and transformed into the most joyful thing. And that is what he promises. He says that death, his death on the cross, which is the cause of their greatest sorrow, is going to be changed into their greatest joy, the thing that they would be willingly dying for. The ugliness of the cross will turn into the most beautiful thing their eyes have ever seen. The pain and agony of the wounds of Jesus will turn into the most precious and holy and wonderful things. This is what Isaiah 53 says. A wound is is a disgusting sight to see. But Isaiah 53 says this, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
at the very cross that the world recoils and mocks is the source of our joy. It is why we gather here and sing praises in the top of our lungs to the Lord. And then Jesus goes on even further, and he explains this with an analogy, and he says, This is all like a woman in labor. All of her sorrow and pain is because of the baby. It's because the baby is in her pushing her organs, stretching her. It, it, it's, it's causing her pain. It's a weight and it's a difficulty. If the baby wasn't in, inside her, she wouldn't feel that pain or this comfort for nine months. And then again, in, in the moment of delivery. When she's delivering the baby, the pain she endures is because of the baby. And that baby is all of her pain. And yet when that baby is born, that baby is all of her joy. All of it. And that baby causes her to forget the pain. That same baby makes her forget the pain that she endured. The thing that makes her weep tears of anguish is the same thing that makes her weep tears of joy. And that is what Jesus is comparing his death to. He says, the thing, look, this very thing, my death is going to cause you to be sorrowful. And then my death is going to be the source of your greatest happiness, your joy and your blessedness. It is unending and undying. No one will take that joy from you. And the reason this was their greatest joy is because when they saw Jesus resurrect, when they saw him die on the cross, when they could look back at the cross, they said, that was not the end of the gospel. That was the gospel. That is the very God. That is the very thing that the Lord came to do and accomplish. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It is the Lord's doing. And it is what? Marvelous in our eyes. Now, what does this all mean for you? Simply put, it means everything. The fact that Jesus died and rose again means that everything he said is true. And so that means that you are indeed a poor, miserable sinner, all of you, who are incapable of saving yourselves. You are truly and genuinely deserving of death. You deserve the death you will die. That is the truth. And in fact, you truly do deserve to burn in hell forever. That also is true. And yet it also means that you are the poor, miserable sinner whom the Lord has died for. Who has been purchased and won, not with gold or silver, but with the very blood, the precious blood of Christ who rescued you from the sin and the death and the hell that you once deserved. It means that Jesus forgives you all of your sins and that is the greatest consolation in the world because there is never a moment in your life that those words are not true, that the gospel is not true, that it could ever be taken away. This is seriously the best news your ears will ever hear, your heart will ever ponder and cling to. That is the best news. Look, I could ask you right now, I could say, what do you regret, all of you? What do you, what do you regret in this life that you've done? What are you ashamed of and embarrassed of doing? What do you wish that you could go back in time and undo that you cannot undo? 
And I guarantee you that each of us, including myself, can name at least three to four things right off the bat without even thinking. Without, we, we have them. You, you're, you're, you're thinking of them right now. I know it. You are embarrassed of them. You're ashamed of them. And that we're sorely ashamed of these things without taking a second to think. They haunt us. That's why they come up so easily. They're sins that are ever before us, as David says. But do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that even though those sins come up over and over and over again in your mind, they never, not once, come up in the mind of God when he thinks of you. He does not think of those things when he thinks of you. Because what Jesus did for you, God does not remember those sins. Isaiah 43 says, I, yes, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I remember your sins no more. This is beautiful. This is the greatest consolation. You do not have to fear anything because you have the Lord who thinks of you this way. And dear saints, that is your dearest treasure and cling to it. Because as long as you have Jesus and his cross, you have the forgiveness of sins. That means never will you have to rely upon yourself or upon a good work or good intention or to make up for your past sins or have a good motive or any of this to rely upon yourself to save you. Only Jesus will save you. And this means that you will not go to hell. It means that you will be with Jesus forever. When you die, you will go to be with the Lord and you will always be with him. And that means no matter how meaningless you might feel your life is, it is never even the worst moment meaningless. No matter how hopeless you might feel, it is never in a moment without hope. No matter how much you've lost or lack or suffer or endure or weep, your salvation is secure because it does not depend upon you. It depends upon Jesus. You will lose a lot in this life, but this is the thing that you will never lose. The same word that kept those disciples through those three agonizing days is the same thing. It's the same word that's going to get you through the rest of yours. So take heart and cling to what Jesus says. He said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.